Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. We are also from the road this week. I'll give you a little update on the shenanigans in my family from last week, and this is what we've got for you in this installment. Bored white Vermont housewives trying to bring yoga to black people like that's going to work. We got media cry bullies who are still trying to make permanent masking a thing. We have alleged community health centers in New York City putting out public service announcements to teens about how to safely tuck their penises to achieve a smooth front. And a little more local news, Burlington goes full socialist by banning landlords from renting to Airbnb or Verbo unless they agree to take welfare tenants and government subsidized rent. So let's dive right in. Let me give you a little update on my sister. For those of you who are new to the show this week, I am actually not in the studio. I'm at my sister's house because I've been helping out my family while my sister had a bad case of meningitis. She is recovering. Um, I wanna thank everybody who left really kind and supportive comments um, on all the spaces where our show shows up. Thank you, that that really felt good. It was, it was nice to hear that. We are still unsure whether the meningitis is viral or bacterial. Uh, there's lots of doctors on this case, lots of difficult decisions to make. But we are still quite disturbed at the treatment that my family received in the emergency room. And it looks as though there may even have been some alteration of the chart notes that were originally entered uh, by the ER docs. Uh, so we're going to be looking at that too, because they they let my sister sit there for 11 hours in full meningitis while her brain swelled and was delirious and wrote her off as a presumptive barbiturate addict. Um, very interesting that we cannot find that phrase in the notes when we look back now, when we know it was there earlier. Uh, so yeah, y'all are watching, we're watching you too. Never trust these people. Never trust them. Document everything. Make copies of all of your chart notes as soon as you get them. There are there are good there are a lot of good doctors involved in this, and there are good doctors involved in my sister's case who have reasonable, scientifically informed disagreements about the course of treatment and the origin of the disease. This is how the process is supposed to work. So there are good, trustworthy people, but the system itself cannot be trusted. And you can see it in the fact that the hospital itself is still on COVID protocols. They're still making you check in and get your forehead temperature checked. They're still making everybody in the hospitals wear masks, even though those don't stop respiratory viruses. They are, you know, I, I know that people say, well, they're just trying to be careful. And no, not anymore. It's, it's at this point today, it's 2022. We're almost in the autumn of 2022. We have known for a long time, officially, that these, these protocols aren't really doing anything. Those of us with common sense knew this from the beginning. Anybody could know this. We did not need studies to tell us this, but we do in fact now have that information in those studies. Yet the alleged professionals are still enacting theater and it is theater. I don't trust people who do theater unless I'm actually paying to see a play. 
And I got to tell you, I, we showed you last week on the show, we showed you that wall of the, um, with the plaque about the diversity, equity, and inclusion, and all about their community. Well, I walked back into the hospital and they had a video screen up next to that sign that I showed you last week with a constant loop of both nurses and patients of the hospital uh, declaring their non-binary status, uh, which means that they have rainbow hair, a lot of face metal, and are morbidly obese on a loop over and over again. This is supposed to be affirmative health care. They care more about their image than anything else. And I got to say, most of the nurses have been wonderful, but it's this kind of shit that makes me not want to be in a hospital. I'm in that room getting ready um, for us to leave. And a nurse comes in and she's got a big rainbow lanyard with letters about this tall, like four inches tall that say she, her pronouns on it. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't need your pronouns to tell that you're female and what to call you. And why don't I need them? Well, because I can see you. I can see how tall you are. I can see your bust. I can see your hips. I can see that ratio between your shoulders and your hips. I can look at your stupid ass. Okay. You're obviously a chick. And that great, big, heavily made up wide-eyed, enthusiastic stare on her face told me more than I wanted to know, but basically what I needed to know. These people scare me. Let's move on to the next topic. Who was it? Which one of you faithful viewers left this suggestion so that I can thank you properly? It was, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting everything this week. You know who you are, but you left, um, thank you, a suggestion that we show some of my sister's art. So I'm gonna show you a little bit of, of what this woman can actually do and um, what she's gonna get back to when she's fully recharged. Kevin, let's show that first picture of the fantasy tree. My sister is a fiber artist, but she's not just a fiber artist. She, she takes this through the whole process. She actually spins her own yarn, cards her own wool, makes her own felt, does her own dyeing. For those of you just listening, this is a sort of, um, the, the theme is, is it's a little bit Tolkien-esque, it's a little bit fairy tale, it's woodland, a uh, little fantasy tree uh, that has a little castle sitting in it. It's, it's magical stuff. It's, it's the sort of, it's almost like a diorama, what she does, these soft felt sculptures, and they look like illustrations from really high quality classic children's storybooks. Let's take a look at another one here. This um this couple, this elfin couple, are they elves, Jesse? Are these they're elves? Okay, they are elves. Um I don't know if it comes across in the picture, but when you see these things in person, they have genuine character. They really feel like they have emotion and personhood. And to me, that is one of the things that separates just tchotchkes and kitsch from art when something actually has a presence that you can feel, and I don't mean to sound all, you know, sort of woo-woo-woo, but art is supposed to move you a little bit, and these these figures really do have presence, and I think my favorite here is the next one, which is the, uh, a woman uh, holding a bunny uh, asleep in the, the crook of a hollowed out branch, um, and there, there's just all sorts of this stuff, so I wanted to show you what my sister does when she's absolutely at her best, and um, she is the best at this. I've never seen anyone who's as good. 
So now it's time for some viewer, reader, listener comments. I always struggle over this. I want to say viewer or listener or reader, but because everything's bespoke now and everyone consumes content on their favorite platform, you have to like, if you are a reader or if you are a listener or if you are a content consumer, so supply all your own vectors, like supplying your own not alls. Mm. All right. This one, I'm debating this. Do I say it? It's so bad. Okay. I read you a comment from this person a few weeks ago and I couldn't get I couldn't get his screen name out because it was so bad, but I'm gonna tell it to you. This is from Hunter Biden's AIDS Legion. <laughs> and um HB's AIDS Legion says, here, Joshua, you touched on something without naming it. The women are wonderful effect. A psychological phenomenon that suggests that people associate more positive attributes with women than with men. You can see examples of this on a daily basis. Um, thank you, Mr. Lesion, because I had not heard of that. And of course, I looked it up immediately. And it's a real thing. The phrase, the women are wonderful effect comes from a 1994 research paper that questioned if there really was a systemic and per pervasive societal bias against women cutting across the board. And the paper, well, it questioned that and it said it didn't really believe it. Other work was done following up on that. And a really interesting one, and I wanna point out to you that the authors of this follow-up paper from 2004, they're both women, okay? So if you want to dismiss this as the nasty patriarchy, you're gonna to have to make the next step. You're gonna to have to say that these women have internalized misogyny and that they're dick lickers, which is what the radical feminists say of any woman who doesn't hate men. So this is Lori Rudman and Stephanie Goodman, Stephanie Goodwin, excuse me. And yes, I'm going to link all of the articles and papers that I cite here. They will be linked in text in the show notes. Gender differences in automatic in-group bias. Why do women like women more than they like men? That's the name of the paper. It was in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology. And it found that both men and women in a series of experiments have a positive bias toward women. In plain language, we will cut women more slack. And both men cut women more slack and women cut women more slack is what they found. And they're not the only people who found that. This is a pretty consistent effect. Here's the interesting part. Women's in-group bias, that is women favoring women, favoring their own sex, was 4.5 times stronger than men's bias towards seeing women positively. 4.5 times stronger. I think this explains an awful lot of why we see so many good women, so many decent women, covering over for abusive mothers who are transing their children, uh, especially mistreating their boy children. This is why it is so difficult to get people to understand that what they're seeing when they see, the, 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 what they're seeing with these so-called trans moms, they're seeing pageant moms. Okay, this is another thing that occurred to me this week. You remember all the sturm and drang culturally about child beauty pageants. And that came to a crescendo, of course, with the still unsolved murder of that little girl, John Benet Ramsey, at six years, what was she, six years old, uh, pageant queen. People rightly said, why are we putting our girls in makeup and having them strut down a catwalk like they were at a, a brothel? Because that is what we're doing. We're pimping these girls. And they're absolutely right. 
And so we don't hear much about child beauty pageants anymore. They've kind of fallen out of fashion. They haven't gone away completely, but they're not like they used to be because they're frowned on, except they're not frowned on, are they? They just changed. It's not girls anymore, it's boys. It's Desmond is amazing, the 10-year-old drag kid whose mother let him hang around with convicted murderer Michael Ailig, party monster. It's women on Twitter and on Facebook groups showing off their trans, their trans daughter, excuse me, get so mixed up with this. This is exactly the same thing. They are the same women with the same psychological disturbance. That disturbance is cluster B. It's borderline and or narcissism. And it's acceptable because it's boys, because it's liberating. See, my boy can be pink and pretty and all these things, but this women are wonderful effect, I think explains a lot of why sensible, decent, moral mothers in every other sphere flock to defend these women. Um, so it's something to be aware of. A couple more viewer comments. I have noticed that customer service is worse since COVID. The new behavior that I'm most exercised about is customer service staff telling me that the things I'm buying are too expensive. I get up to the counter with my purchases and the woman, and it's always a woman, and by the way, this commenter is a woman as well, always gives me some variation of the following. Wow, that's expensive, or don't you think that's expensive? Or I couldn't afford to buy that. I know we're not supposed to talk back to these people, but I've started to tell them off over this, and it happened today. She said, wow, that's really expensive. And I said, well, you've convinced me not to buy it then. I hate it when people talk to me that way. It's so rude. I walked out without buying the item while she stood there spluttering at me. I have worked in places myself where I couldn't afford to shop, and it really did suck at the time. But I've never spoken to customers this way, and I was never spoken that way to before COVID. So what do you think? Am I the unreasonable one? No, I don't think you're unreasonable, and I don't think you're pulling that out of thin air. I think that our response to COVID did change us, and um, in one of the ways it changed us was the strange way that we treated service workers, customer service workers. At first, we, we called them heroes. We called them essential. We called them key and frontline workers, although we weren't necessarily doing anything to make uh, their lives any easier while we sat home and you know let them deliver all of our food. But then we dropped that as soon as it wasn't convenient. But one thing that stuck, and it's a woke idea, it's a progressive left idea, this idea that everybody who works in customer service, everybody who's on a cash register or is waiting tables on a floor is an oppressed person by virtue of the fact that they're working in the low service industry. These people, a lot of them now are making between $17 and $20 an hour at jobs that used to pay $12 to $14 an hour. So they're not even making the terrible salaries anymore. But we adopted this idea that service workers are an oppressed class and now they do get to be rude to the customers. They just get to, and we have to accept that and we have to understand our customer privilege. Screw that. Here's another one. This commenter says, I'm right here with you on the transgender crap. It's disgusting and appalling and terrifying in ways that people can't even fathom. Here's a little history. And this is right, this history she's about to give us. In 
In the early 1960s, Johns Hopkins was in the forefront of gender identity science and its Baltimore hospital was the site of the nation's first gender affirmation surgery, then called sex change in 1966. Hopkins halted surgeries in 1979 when Paul McHugh was the chief of psychiatry. McHugh believed that by conducting surgeries, quote, Hopkins was fundamentally cooperating with a mental illness, end quote. Correct. The Johns Hopkins Clinic, which was the first in the U.S. to do this treatment, closed because of the original number of patients who, want, who returned wanting to be reversed back to the original gender. Here's my editorial comment. They stopped doing these surgeries, and in 2017, they started them again because they saw the cash cow. McHugh was out, so they started again. She also says, as for the, fe and this is a clever little bit of wordplay, she says, as for the feminism shit cannery, which could be chicanery, but I like shit cannery better. I'm a 60 year old female. That means I grew up in the 60s and 70s and benefited from the push to empower women. And then the lick spittles just kept pushing the envelope. I was the biggest tomboy ever. The best birthday gift my husband ever got me, a battery powered nail gun that had the power to sink three inch nails. Booyah! Third wave, fourth wave, radicals, I don't care what the hell you call them. They are, to borrow a Rush Limbaugh word, feminazis. Their war on men and the ever-looming patriarchy is bullshit on stilts. Grow up. You believe your own bullshit and you wallow in it. You hold yourself back. Are some men assholes? Yes, but so are a lot of women. You get the gold star. Okay, we're coming up on a break, but I want to leave you with a funny... <laughs> Oh, this is one of those times that I wish we had two-way communication because I would love to see your faces. You, all, you know what, maybe? Yes. As a matter of fact, let me suggest this. This is off script. Do a reaction video for me, would you? Um, just do me a quick reaction video and email it to um, us at disaffected.fm. I want to see your face when you see these faces. So there's, there's an app that uses AI, um, artificial intelligence technology to create faces. So you're already familiar with that. You know that we can render faces that don't exist and they look photorealistic. This one creates faces based on the descriptors that you put in its search engine. So somebody entered transgender activists and this is what the AI came up with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but tell me they don't look exactly like that. Look at that and tell me they don't look exactly like that. We'll see you on the other side of the break. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off camera and unscripted. We talk about what you want to talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com disaffected or 
visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Just take a pea-sized amount and apply it like lotion to your privates. Then kiss your stinky butt goodbye. Mwah. Goodbye. Ah! No one likes odor below the belt. Whether you're at the gym getting free samples of butt incense, <laughs> at the office inhaling your own front fumes, or in bed doing some stinky-wanky. No, not the Teletubby. Your privates go everywhere you go. So why isn't there deodorant for privates? Now there is with Lumi, the only natural deodorant you can safely use on your private parts. Lumi's clinically proven to eliminate odor all day. And if you're using your privates all day, good for you. Lumi's been proven to control odor for 72 hours. Lumi works by stopping odor at the source, bacteria. Most crotch and butt smells come from bacteria on the skin, breaking down fluids and farting out odor. Lumi stops them from eating so they can't fart. Now they're polite germs. Hello, governor. Hello, governor. Oh, I never. Goodness me. Lumi was created by an OBGYN to be totally safe and effective. It's made with gentle ingredients and only goes on the outside, not the inside. Stop putting things inside. And despite what the douchebags tell you, the outside is where the odor is anyway. Hey, those are mine. You have enough douchebags in your life, Cheryl. Lumi is natural and safe, even for the most sensitive parts of the body, like the ones men can't find. Just take a pea-sized amount and apply it like lotion to your privates. Then kiss your stinky butt goodbye. Mwah. Goodbye. Ah! So if your junk smells like so awful you're goodbye. bad at hide and seek, click the link below to try Lumi today. If you don't love it, you can send it back for a full refund. No questions asked. No one wants to ask questions about your privates, Jeremy. But don't take my word for it. Here are strangers talking about their privates over the internet for free. Oh my God. Lumi is the best deodorant I have found for the sweaty folds, cracks, and crevices. I applied Lumi yesterday to the groin area, and 24 crevices? hours later, I'm still odor-free. Lumi is hands down the best. Wonderful for after workouts or before intimacy. Or both if intimacy is a workout. And because Lumi conquers all body odor, not just your privet drive, you can use it on pits, feet, or any other stinky crevice. <sighs> So click the link to try Lumi today and reclaim your confidence here, here, and here. You'll be able to genital the difference, but actually your genitals will tell the difference. Lumi, keep your privates private. Keep your privates private? How about not talking about this in a commercial, you nasty bitch? Oh my God. You remember that show where I talked about how vulgar everything is this is a prime example this isn't a new commercial either i think this is from 2020 i can't believe the shit that we see now this would be funny in an adult comedy setting okay i have things to say about this first of all do any of these people shower lumi will keep odor down for 72 hours 72 hours if your body hasn't seen water in 17 hours you have a problem why not take a bath and the whole you know what it is it i mean it's just everybody made fun of the fact that on menstruation commercials they use the blue period water right because obviously um women don't uh, bleed blue when they menstruate, except if they're a Vulcan hybrid. But I would give anything to have the blue water back, more blue water and less of this. I don't want to see animated hairy butt cracks with sweat in them. I don't want to see some chick 
bent over with her nose stuck three inches from some guy's ass crack in the gym. What is going on? Why are we doing this? And the thing, the thing that is the most disgusting about this to me is not just the frank juvenile boy way she's talking, which is just gross. It's the cutesiness. It's the cute, it's the juxtaposition of it's the juxtaposition of the attractive young woman saying the sorts of things that you expect 13-year-old boys to say in a locker room. That has become an entire cultural trope. I think it started with, oh, before I get there, did you hear how she got the girl power feminism in there? It works even on the parts that men can't find. <laughs> Listen, honey, ladies, I don't believe you. I do not believe you that men can't find your clitoris. You know why? Because I can find your clitoris. I know where it is. You know where it is? It's right at the top. It's right there. It's right there where all the action takes place. Are you telling me that a man gets down there and suddenly goes blind and cannot see it? Ugh, bullshit. So anyway, it's this, this thing kind of started about 20 years ago with attractive comic women like Amy Poehler, uh, Tina Fey, Kristen Wiig, all... Uh, Saturday Night Live alumni. And part of what made their comedy really funny, and some of it was really funny, was that they did that thing. They were all attractive women who were willing to make themselves look ridiculous and vulgar. And that that's a surefire win uh, for a female comic. Um, in fact, you saw it. They made fun of it in that character sketch, that recurring character sketch that Kristen Wiig did. The blonde, not blonde bombshell, the redhead named Shauna. She looked like Anne Margaret from the 60s with that swoopy hair. And she'd come in, she'd go, oh, oh, I'm just so glad to see you guys. Oh, <laughs> should I take my sweater off? Right? And they're all like, <sighs> like the wolf in the old Warner Brothers cartoons. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Oh, I'm getting the dogs all upset because I was making um, wolf noises. Uh, then all of a sudden, she, she's like, she lets out this massive wet fart or she burps or she gobbles her food. She's like, <laughs> it was very funny, right? But this is tired and I've had enough of it. And like Lumi, a little goes a long way. And to this actress in this commercial, I leave you with this. Do you want to be Amy Schumer? Because this is how you get Amy Schumer. All right, let's move on to tucking your junk. This is from the Callan Lord Community Health Center in New York City, which bills itself as the leader in LGBTQ plus healthcare. What I'm about to show you is from a series of informational pamphlets, flyers, pages for Kids, look at this, safer tucking. We're gonna get to that. I know I've explained tucking before, but I'm gonna re-explain because I like to explain things. This is from a series called HOT, H-O-T-T, -T, Health Outreach to Teens. HOT, get it? Why are these people talking about hot things with children? raises a question, doesn't it? Say yes, it does raise a question. Safer tucking. So tucking 
well, why don't I, why don't I do it in their words where I was going to say, where are my borderline glasses, but I don't have those. I have my Walton's glasses, which is what these silly things look like. Um, Cause I broke my borderline glasses. So now I have to have these sort of like quasi John Denver, Wilford Brimley bullshits. All right. Safer tucking from Callan Lord. Um, and here's what's on the graphic that you can't see. We meet the health and wellness needs of LGBTQ young adults aged 13 to 24. Young adults, age 13, young adults. You see what's happening, right? Age is just a number. Love has no age. Yes, it is pedophilic. Correct. You are seeing pederasty. I'm pretty sure that like this dude here, helping a 13-year-old try to hide his penis is not a health need. So what do we got here? <laughs> this is all about how to talk. This is strapping your penis back to look like you don't have one. So can we move Kevin to B3, comfort tips number one. Trimming or shaving generally helps with tucking. Use a sharp razor and shaving cream or soap to avoid irritation. Kind of, you're talking to retards too. Duct tape is not recommended because it can tear hair, skin, and cause rashes or irritation. Only duct tape though, every other tape is fine. Comfort tips number two tell us, it's not possible to urinate while taped. So use the bathroom before you tape. Girl, I taped this morning and I forgot to go to the bathroom. I'm gonna have to rip this off and retape. Don't forget to drink water, but try to take time to relieve yourself before and after. Remaining taped for longer than four to eight hours causes irritation, discomfort, and possible pain while urinating. Try not to tuck 24 seven. Take breaks if you can. Just like, if you can, we know that some of you have a need to tuck 24 hours, but if you can manage and take a break, talk about colluding with mental illness. It's not just colluding, it's instruction and induction. This is inducing mental distress and bodily distress. We got a few more from Callan Lord. What is tucking? The goal of tucking is to make the underwear area look smoother. This can be done in multiple ways. Why do some people tuck? Tucking can help relieve gender dysphoria or make you feel better about your body. Tucking can help make, tucking can make wearing some shorts, skirts, and pants more comfortable. If you can't get your dick and balls in there, that means you've got the wrong size or you're wearing women's clothes. Honestly. Tucking can help you navigate situations more safely. I screwed up on the graphic there. Sorry, I, I had a little bit. Tucking can help you navigate situations more safely. What could that mean? Oh, it helps you pass better so people don't beat you up for not being a real woman. This is crazy. This is, this is crazy. But here's the best part. Here's the best part. Long quote here. Some people prefer not to use anatomical terms to refer to their genitals. So from here on out, we'll call the parts he, B, and J. 
there are spaces in your pelvis called inguinal canals. <laughs> I'll have the white sauce, please. Right above your genitals that you can use to make your underwear area look flat, your underwear area, make your underwear area look flatter. You can push the PB up into those spaces and pull the J back. <laughs> After you've been on hormones for a while, things will shrink and become more comfortable. This can all be secured using medical tape or various clothing options. Things will shrink. Baby talk, your things will shrink. Peanut butter jelly? Do you mean like this? Peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly time, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly, peanut butter jelly with a baseball bat. <laughs> now, the wonderful white world of Vermont. This comes from a friend who used to go to this yoga studio. These, they, <laughs> you know, that's where you, well, I was going to say you find all the white women in Vermont, but you find the super concentration at the yoga studios. So these people, this yoga studio think they're going to make yoga a black thing. Sure. Check this out, it's on your screen. Update, prices increase on September 1st. Thanks to the grants we received during COVID at a time when many of our students experienced a drop in their income, we were fortunate to be able to lower our prices. Notice the language here. They experienced a drop in their income. It's like the way they say people they won't say homeless people, they say people experiencing homelessness. It distances, it obscures reality. It's all in the service of saying, avoiding saying things like lost money, lost your job, poor people, hunger or hungry people. That's what this all is. They don't wanna say the truth, but they wanna look good and sound good while they're doing it. So ask yourself this, Somebody's coming at you asking you for a donation. Which of these is going to tug at your heartstrings more? Do you want to help somebody who's experiencing food insecurity? Or would you like to feed a hungry child? Which one of those opens your wallet more? A little more from the yoga studio. Two years later, those grants, the ones they got from COVID, have run out, and now we need to account for an increase in our expenses. All this extra verbiage. In addition, we have grown. We have a second location at Hula, whatever that is, and started the Yoga Equity Project. <laughs> Both of these expansions require time and money, and to account for the extra work we do and love, we need to generate more revenue. The Yoga Equity Project. Oh, yeah. Black people are going to take to that like white on rice. <laughs> Get out of here. Oh, one more. We're also excited to introduce a new galactic add-on. I guess we're into the Marvel universe now. Invert the paradigm and put others first. Enroll and make an automatic payment of $25, $50, $75, or $100 per month that will go directly to the Yoga Equity Project, programming designed by and for BIPOC community members to support, support and sustain their health and wellness. 
Hey, Jesse, do you have any drugs that knock a person out? As my sister over here has got a pharmacopoeia and I need something. And by the way, after the next break, you're going to at least stick your hand in here and say hello to the nice people in TV land. All right. I want to share with you a blog I just discovered uh, from a social media follower. Uh, this will be linked in the show notes, so you'll have a direct link. But the blog is Saving Civ, as in Saving Civilization. So S-A-V-I-N-G-C-I-V.com, SavingCiv.com. And this article is called The Types of Coerced. And the author discusses the different types of people and how they respond to coercion, such as the lockdowns, the mask mandates, the attempts to forcibly vaccinate people. And he breaks them down into four types. So to introduce it, quote, when coercion is applied to information or belief, people tend, can tend to react in a set of predictable ways, some with differences, causes, and effects that aren't immediately obvious. I found it useful to categorize them. You might find these categories useful descriptors for those around you as well. First category, type zero, the indifferent. Quote, a person who believes something and has little to no doubts about it because they are generally incurious, underinformed, and unconcerned with this area of information, logic, or experience that might lead them to know that they are being deceived. As many deceptions one might face are identifiable as a likely deception using only one's life and past experience, the type zero won't likely be very introspective. No coercion is therefore necessary. We all know these people. Then we go to type one, the unbowed. A person who, when approached with a deception, is readily able to identify it as such and does not submit to it despite any coercive pressure applied. This person is not deceived. This person also bears the brunt of coercive harm. So I take that to mean these are the, the, the defiant people, the ones who won't back down. Like many of you out there, and and you know, I'm not saying this to blow smoke up my own ass, but I'm one of these people. I I won't do it. And we do, in fact, take the brunt of the coercive of harm. We are the ones targeted. We are the ones who are canceled. We're pushed to the social margins, and we're called crazy. Just as it happens in the family, this is exactly what happens in a cluster B family with a narcissistic parent. When the child starts to say no, when the child sees through the lie, the child is called crazy, over imaginative, or a liar herself. Type two, the cowed. We all know the cowed. When approached with deception that is paired with coercion to acknowledge the deception is true, a type two, the cowed, would acknowledge that the deception is true in order to avoid the coercion, but not accept the deception as truth internally due to having information awareness or introspectiveness in that deception's area to identify it as deception. This can cause stress, as not only does it involve potential damage to one's self-image due to acknowledgement that one said uncle, one bowed to authority, or took the coward's way out, but the inner wear and tear of maintaining a lie in the presence of pro-coercion friends, family, or co-workers is damaging to one's psyche. However, the type two is only partially correct 
about having taken a cowardly or dishonorable path, as it actually requires a certain amount of courage to face the facts of what they're doing, as opposed to denying it altogether, which leads to type three, the enlightened. When a, this, is, this one is the really important one. When approached with deception that is paired with coercion, a type three might at first resist it like a type one, but once the application of coercion enters the picture, he chooses to accept the deception as truth, having been, quote, convinced. The convincing occurs not because the information led them to accurately identify the uh, deception, not, not that, um, and I lost my place, Accepting this is a mechanism to defend their ego from the damage to it that would occur in a type two that we just talked about. By thinking of themselves as convinced as opposed to being coerced, they're not submitting. They're not saying uncle, they're not taking the coward's way out. Rather, they are simply more courageous for having challenged their preconceived notions and followed the facts, despite never addressing their prior hesitations. Boy, have I seen a lot of these people. This is, in effect, the religious experience, wherein one walks by faith, not by sight, but so deep in denial, where one denies that any faith has been applied at all. It's not uncommon for a type one to become a type two, and then a type three as coercion takes its toll. From my point of view, you know, you've seen people like this, you've heard people who say, I saw the science evolve, so my views evolved. What do you do when the science evolves? Do you change your mind when the facts change? They will say this to you. It's all fake. They're not changing their minds to fit the facts. They're bridling their own brains to avoid the whipslash. That's what they're doing. It's a reversal. They're doing the opposite of what they tell you they're doing. And they're lying about it with a rictus grin on their faces, telling you that they're happy they've seen the light. These are the most disgusting types of these people. Anyway, I recommend you read the whole thing. I can't do it justice here, but it's worth checking out. Time for another break and we'll see you with the final segment to close out the show. You know how podcasters are always asking you to hit the subscribe button? Well, this is us asking you to take a minute right now and be sure you've hit subscribe on your favorite video platform. Click that notification bell too, so you never miss our newest content. And don't forget to subscribe on audio too. We have audio only content that you won't find on any video platform, so don't miss out. Do you like Disaffected? Do you like it enough to help pay for it? We'd love to have your support to grow and maintain this show. Donors get special access to our monthly Zoom hangouts. They're off camera and unscripted. We talk about what you wanna talk about. There are two ways to join. Patreon users can go to patreon.com slash disaffected or visit subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Welcome back. Surprise, quick special guest. Jesse, come over here and say hi to the people. This is my sister, Jesse, the artist. Um, thank you. You don't have to be on the show if you don't want to, but um, as you can see, she's actually ambulatory, which is a very good thing. All right, let's close this bitch out. 
the dream of wokeness is alive in Burlington, Vermont. You know, living here really is exactly like a Portlandia episode and a Portlandia episode is exactly like living in Portland itself. Satire and parody are dead. You can't make them up anymore because the real world does it for you. I'm gonna show you what the city of Burlington government has gotten up to. You won't be able to read this, but I'm gonna put up on the screen a letter from the Burlington Housing Authority uh, to Burlington landlords. Um, some people are under a mistaken impression. I've seen coverage of this story. This is a government agency. The BHA, the Burlington Housing, Housing Authority, is not a non-government organization. It's not an independent nonprofit. This is the city government, okay? So constitutional issues are in fact uh, at play here. So this letter, I'm gonna read to you what it says. It's a letter to landlords. Now you have to understand something about the Vermont housing market. It is the tightest in the country. I don't remember the stats, but I, I believe the last time I checked, less than 1% of our housing stock actually has open apartments and condos right now. So it's really, really hard to find a place to live and prices are through the roof here. It is a problem and it is a problem that cities and towns are trying to find a way to deal with. I don't know what the answer is. As you know, I don't think government is good at solving anything, but I don't have an answer for it either. And it is a civic problem. So there is a real problem, but the solution here, whoops, sorry to shake the camera folks, uh, is something straight out of communist China. So quote, new Burlington regulations restricting your ability to generate income through short-term rentals with Airbnb and Verbo. Verbo is a uh, like a, an upscale Airbnb, I understand. These, uh, New regulations restricting your ability to generate income are here. Pay attention to the, the strange switch in tone throughout this letter. It goes from happy to punitive, happy to punitive. It's very strange. Quote, if you want to keep renting to Airbnb, Verbo, etc., or want to start cashing in on the lucrative short-term market in Burlington, the Burlington Housing Authority has your solution, exclamation point. So now it's like they're selling you something. If you have ever considered joining the lucrative short-term rental market here in Burlington, you may have missed your opportunity due to the new regulations. <laughs> and then again, another tone switch. Luckily, you have an alternative route to continue or begin accessing this lucrative market. Do you hear it? Accessing, 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 accessing. So stupid. So what the city taketh away, it giveth a bit back. If a host, that's you, who owns property. If a host owns a multifamily building with one affordable, that's their bargain. Do you have an affordable? Can I see your affordable? What do you mean, what does that mean? It means not affordable housing. Where's your affordable? Okay. If a host owns a multifamily building with one affordable, you can continue or begin renting another unit to Airbnb. So the, pit, the city passed a regulation restricting your ability to rent through Airbnb or Verbo. But you can get around that if you agree to do the following things for the city government. One, you have to designate at least one of your 
apartments as affordable. And that may sound okay to you, but you don't yet know what restrictions come with that. That means if you have an affordable apartment, you, the landlord, are now required to take Section 8. And in the United States, Section 8 is what we call government money for low-income people to pay their rent. Um, it's a program that a lot of people have used. My family has used it. Um, however, let's tell the truth here. You get a certain kind of tenant in the majority of Section 8 cases. You're talking low-income people and the problems that come with poor people. And I've been a poor people and my family has been a poor people. This is not bigotry, it's reality. I grew up this way, I know these people. They're my family, they're the people I've lived around. They're people I've turned down to rent my own apartments to. So you have to take section eight. And in order to take section eight, landlords have to meet an extraordinarily high health and safety code. You have to have all these hardwired smoke detectors, um, things have to be sealed. There's a whole laundry list of, and some of them are sensible things. I mean, I don't take Section 8, but as a landlord, yes, I hardwired my rental house with smoke detectors and carbon monoxide because I do want my tenants to be safe. You know, I'm not a slumlord, but you have to do this extraordinary number of things in order to do that. And you get inspected and they come by and it's, it's a freaking pain in the ass. And these people act like they're doing you a favor. It's socialism. This is socialist coercion. You can participate in the free market if you agree to take the welfare cases and let us tell you how to run the apartment. In this day and age, I'm not sure what to say about this, but I'd sure love to see a court challenge to this. This is what they're doing. I was talking about this with my family last night and um, the point was raised, which I think is a really good one. This is the city inappropriately putting the city's responsibility onto individual landlords, right? If the city, you know, leave aside the fact that government fucks up everything. Let's just assume the city's going to do something about this problem. If this is a responsibility of city government, it's a responsibility they have to take on. They have to find a public policy solution to this. But what they're doing is blame shifting and responsibility shifting and putting it out there onto the open market. And honestly, no one will ever say this. They'll never admit it. And no one will ever call them on this. But you know who these people are because I've talked to you about Burlington and Vermont government before. Some of this is punitive. They're like, we're sticking it to the rich people. We're sticking it to those fucking landlords. They're going to have to take the poor people. They're doing this out of a sense of, of class vengeance as well. You just see the people running these offices. They're absolutely resentful. You know, I'm glad that I don't own in Burlington. I'm, I'm a kulak, right? I'm the landed gentry with my very modest ranch house that has two small apartments in it that I bought for my elderly parents and now rent out. I'm part of the, you know, I, and I make what? $3,000 in profit every year off that place? Yeah, I need to be taken down a peg or two. That's who landlords are. That's who a lot of landlords are. It's not all of the big nasty corporations. Anyway, I'm getting off track here. The tone of this just really bothers me, the glib, happy tone that shifts from punitive to rewarding. And I have this to say to the Burlington City Management, although they won't listen to me. Get Caitlin the fuck out of your communications department, okay? Stop hiring Caitlin. Caitlin shouldn't be writing your stuff. Get a real communications pro. All right. Last one we've got for you here. Is it the last one? Yeah. We're going to talk about one of our favorites, Taylor Lorenz. This is from... 
Libby Emmons. Libby Emmons is the editor of the online newspaper, The Post Millennial, and I hope you read that. Hey, Libby, if you're out there, Libby and I went to Sarah Lawrence College together, but we didn't know each other when we were there, and we only realized we were classmates years later, and we both have a similar um, different way of looking back on our years in the social justice academia uh, than we did when we were there. But she wrote a great piece for humanevents.com, and it is titled... New COVID guidelines put, in, put an end to the entitled ethos of Taylor Lorenz. Now, Taylor Lorenz is a woman of indeterminate age, <laughs> former reporter for the New York Times, now for the Washington Post. She is a nasty, nasty piece of work. She is a textbook case of vulnerable narcissism, in my opinion. She's made a career out of canceling people. This is the woman who writes about um, online spats and gets people fired from their jobs for saying the wrong things. This is the woman who camped out on the doorstep of the woman behind the very famous libs of TikTok account that exposes extreme leftist uh, wokery. She camped out on that woman's doorstep trying to find her name. Then she went uh, and knocked on the doors of her family members and outed this woman, put her real name out there because you know she was able to anonymously do harm and then Taylor Lorenz had the nerve to get on camera with a national news crew and fake cry that she was being harassed and traumatized and she had PTSD from all the people who were harassing her and she's only trying to be a woman working in media space. So first, we get a series of tweets from Taylor Lorenz that Libby included in our article. Let's look at the first one here. And Taylor gets the voice. Okay. The same people complaining nonstop about the mental health cost of lockdowns, even though we never had full lockdowns, and having to wear masks are perfectly happy to force disabled people to stay locked away forever or keep an N95 glued to their face every time they step out in public. Tweet number two. Even if you wear an N95 everywhere, one-way masking policies leave vulnerable people at risk. So say there's a tiny gap in your mask. You have to remove your mask at airport security or take a sip of water to say nothing of the countless other mitigation measures our leaders have ignored. Taylor, sweetie, one-way masking isn't a thing. Like fetch, it's not gonna happen. Stop trying to make one-way masking happen. This bitch is the textbook vulnerable narcissist. They're often confused with borderlines, but unlike borderlines, and this is all speculations, this is just my opinion. Unlike borderlines, I don't think that Taylor Lorenz is actually as emotionally dysregulated as she claims and as she portrays herself. She's not crying for real. She doesn't actually feel these emotions. I know fakery when I see it. At least with the pure borderlines, their behavior may be awful, but they really are experiencing that emotional dysregulation and they really are in the moment unable to see outside of that. That is not the case with her. She's putting this on. It's a deliberate act, and the fact that she chose to do it indicates to me a Machiavellian character. It's a much darker thing um, than simply being emotionally dysregulated. 
Um, that's the vulnerable narcissist. Learn how to distinguish between a borderline and a vulnerable narcissist who's pretending that she's sadder or more scared than she actually is. Couple more here. Okay. Disabled, medically vulnerable people shouldn't have to risk their lives to participate in society, nor are most people even given that choice. Disabled people also have to work, go to school, grocery shop, go to the doctor's office. We are human beings in the world, just like everyone else. As someone working in media who's immunocompromised and medically vulnerable, I really wish as an industry, we hired more disabled writers and did more to center vulnerable people in our coverage, especially on COVID. What's happening right now is so horrific on a massive scale. <laughs> Libby Emmons really has her number. She says, the CDC has finally relaxed the COVID restrictions that many Americans already knew were useless, that of quarantining those who've been exposed to the virus. The new guidance lifts the requirement to quarantine if exposed to the virus, de-emphasizes screening people with no symptoms, and updates COVID-19 protocols in school, NPR writes. Yet for some, like noted cry bully Taylor Lorenz, these changes are intended to hurt people like her. Lorenz, who has come to symbolize the kind of whiny, entitled millennial that demands more of society than she would ever allow anyone to expect of herself, can't bear to have the freedoms of others supersede her own need to restrict them. Libby, that is beautiful prose right there. It is not only accurate, it is deliciously written. Quote, there is an ethos among Americans of a certain overeducated class, among those who feel their mere existence is permission to dictate terms of behavior to the rest of society. It is this group that reveled in the COVID restrictions, has used masking and quarantining as a moral cudgel with which to beat the rest of us to call us grandma killers and claim that we just don't care about others. This is not about masks. It's not about support for the disabled. It's about wanting to force others to treat you a certain very specific way, even to the detriment of their own preferences and freedoms and feeling entitled enough to demand it." End quote. And that is as good a definition of any as cluster B. That's what this show is all about, as in the home, in society. And here we are. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you again next week.